Hi, I'm Mike Phil. Yeah, I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. Hi, everyone. Master Jedi Colleen here, co-host of Bohemian Geek Studies and yet another Star Wars podcast. But I'm not only a podcaster, I'm also an author. My second novel was published last fall and it debuted as number one horror novel on Amazon, which was really cool. If you like Stephen King, weird happenings in small towns, or just looking for a new writer, give my novel The Falls a try. It's set in Minnesota where everyone wears that nice, facade nothing is ever what it seems find the falls by colleen mcmillan on amazon and the between the lines publishing website hi i'm shamar griffith codename comic shams and i'm andrew tejada codename arate i'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation and i'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things we grew up together and spent most of our formative years watching and talking about dc superhero shows and content in fact we still do Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we'll put a shock to our system by covering Static Shock, the animated series on... Yet another DC animated podcast. Welcome to yet another episode, yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year Phil Lamar followed his Pulp Fiction role by starring in Biodome. Oh my God, I love, I used to love that movie. I'm not sure. <laughs> <With> <laughs> it was Paul so Shum. stupid. <laughs> Phil Lamar has so much talent and you know, this is uh one of the movies where he doesn't get to use any of it. But, you know, it, it's it's nice to highlight <laughs> Phil Lamar when we can. Yes, because uh, Phil, oh my gosh, I, I still can't believe he took part in that movie. That movie was so, uh, mm, the, it was a, a massive piece of trash. <laughs> but I loved it because it was so dumb. <laughs> um, but today we are talking about Phil Lamar's talent because he's, He's like pulling it all off in our first episode of the next year that we're going to be covering is Static Shock, because as you know, he is the voice of Static himself, and he will also be voicing the Green Lantern, not the one that takes the L counts that we used to make fun of in, in season one, though. Oh, my God. So uh, those are good, the good old days when it was just Hal <laughs> Jordan getting punked by everybody. Yeah, because this time around, um, unfortunately, we don't have Hal Jordan. We do have Jon Stewart, the best Green Lantern in history, at least in my opinion. I don't disagree. There we go. He'll be premiering in season four, episode four, Static Shot called Fallen Hero. And then following it up with Army of Darkness for episode five and No Man's an Island for episode six. And because of the theme of the episodes, um, you know, be talking about varying perspectives of what we're seeing and everything. But more importantly, because of the fact that there are two guest stars from one of the greatest black shows of all time. Today's episode is an homage to that show as we're calling it A Different World. Mm, that's what we need. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
So we got our main cast of Static is back. We got Phil Lamar not only voicing Static Virgil Hawkins today, we also got him voicing Green Lantern John Stewart. Ted Levine is voicing his role in Sinestro. Ted Levine has been the voice of Sinestro a lot in the DCAU. And next up, he later voices Eduardo Dorado on Young Justice. He also voices Masi Menos on Teen Titan. That's him. Oh my God. Yes. Masi Menos. <laughs> what was it? Masi Menos, Nuco Problemos? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But today, Freddie Rodriguez is more or less voicing. Fade and Tech. Oh, this right. this was a mind blow blow for me. Like I got I didn't I didn't think he was voicing two characters in this episode. That explains the nasally voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, her resume is really long. Like there, it includes the voice of Sora in Digimon, Ino Yamanaka, and Konohamaru in Naruto, the series and the video games. She's Jazz Fenton and Danny Phantom. She's De- Janet Van Dyne in the Wasps, um, mostly in the Marvel animated productions. She was Orchid in Justice League Dark, our episode from season one. And I think she also might have been the voice of that, you know, that if you ever played the Spider-Man 2 game, we had that little kid who's like, oh no, my balloon. Yes, the balloon. Yes. Yeah, this is her. And right now she is currently either wrapping up or is about to hear her voice again because she has been the voice of Miles Tails Prower in the Sonic Universe since 2014. And she will be voicing that character again in the 2022 film as we have Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who's voicing Nightingale in one of our episodes today. I'm sorry. Normally we saved who's the most jacked for later, but she is the most jacked. Voice yeah. like it's it's ridiculous it's not even fair to everybody else well i mean we do have to wrap it up with this one person though because as i mentioned we do have some voices from a different world we do see kadeem hardison is back for a quick role as a band man in one of our episodes and finally you may know her as jaleesa you may know her as sheila but her accent did not fool me as don lewis voices Brickhouse today in our Army of Darkness episode. This is just an all-star package right here. We just, it, it, it's fitting for the, the themes and the stories we're going to cover, but man, this is stacked. It's, and I just, I was shocked just seeing all these names and just having just so many flashbacks to the stuff that these people have put out there. So just a kudos to all of the voice acting as we're going to jump right into it. With dual voice voice acting right now with Fallen Hero, our first episode in our episode with Green Lantern versus Static. Yeah, so right away, Green Lantern, listen to some NWA because he's out here messing (laughs) with the cops and just absolutely destroying these cops. He is sweeping them up with a big broom. Maybe he kills a few. That's ambiguous. <laughs> but it looks like he does. He's doing it all to steal from a, a bank of gold. Nice little contrast of the Green Lantern stealing something yellow. So, you know, we're kind of wondering what, what's going on. Is, is he just, you know, done with the whole hero thing or uh, robots, clones? What we got? Well, unfortunately, though, it's not answered in the newspaper that Virgil's apparently reading yeah. at the breakfast table. <laughs> like, he like... He's 16. Who reads the newspaper at 16 years old unless it's for a school project? Before Twitter. Before Twitter. Oh, that's, that is true. That is true. But he's here reading the newspaper. 
while eating breakfast, he's very upset about Green Lantern being accused of these crimes. He sees it as a, you know, a straight up attack on his character. And this leads into his dad and Sharon kind of telling him that, you know, people sometimes change, things happen, but he doesn't want to hear it as he eventually storms out and he starts to go on patrol. But at the same time, we see that Green Lantern is jumping off of a moving train and he's just looking ragged. Like everything about his clothing is tattered. He has that like eight o'clock shadow on the face. The fade, unfortunately, has grown out a little bit. His jacket is ripped up. His suit is ripped up, which I do have to ask a question about this because um, the Green Lantern suits kind of work like a construct of theirs. So I've always wondered, why do they get ripped if they're not real? I guess, I mean, on a theoretical point, I guess it's to reflect how their mental state is, but... I mean, for the purposes of this episode, it's that so later on, you can tell what's going on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, that is a very solid question, because like Danny Phantom had a similar thing going on when I think about it, like his clothes get ripped. But I'm like, you're a ghost, bro. Like, isn't that (laughs) how does that work? Can't go to a tailor if you're a ghost. (laughs) Um, So Virgil is immediately assuming this must be hypnosis. This must be mind control, you know, that thing kind of thing happens pretty frequently in the DC universe. So they finally get a chance to confront the Green Lantern because he's stealing microchips in Dakota, which is very smart. It's a very smart thing to steal, you know, mm-hmm. investing in the future. And I do like this line because Green Lantern's like, being a hero doesn't pay that much. That's why I got to steal this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> that's fair. And what I love here, too, right when they're having this confrontation, Richie, Yo. a.k.a. Gear, is bold enough to think he can do anything against Green Lantern. <laughs> Yo, I gotta give... That is true. Like, I was wondering where he was going, but my boy fought hard. He takes he takes L's, but he he go, he go, he does it with style. Like, I'm thinking about that Ostevo slap. When he got slapped out of a two-story building, and now he got hit by that concussive blast from GL. Like, straight on, full to the face? Like, bro, I you don't go nowhere, but I respect the effort that you tried to put in when you try to throw down for your boy. So this does cause Static to get real pissed at this point as he's sending all of his energy over to Green Lantern here. But he kind of gets caught off guard just enough for Green Lantern to basically fly away. And this is because there is... Like at that point, as he flies away, Green Lantern, he crashes into another kind of like wall, another illuminated green wall. And this is where we see for the first time, there are two Green Lanterns who are coexisting in the same place, one of which is definitely Jon Stewart, but the other one seems to be some kind of clone or robot or yeah, whatever it might be. But this is where we see the battle between the Green Lanterns, the tattered up John Stewart that we saw before, and the one that's been fighting against Static and Gear this entire time, stealing everything. Yep. And eventually we discover it is Sinestro. This is Sinestro masquerading as John Stewart, and he's stolen John Stewart's lantern. So he can't recharge himself. He's running low on energy. And eventually he won't be able to fight Sinestro at all. And Sinestro's motives are pretty pretty standard he wants to conquer everything but he's going to start with ruining john stewart's life specifically so although they managed to get away from each other this time 
because Sinestro just wants to continue ruining Stewart's reputation. You know, Static is still taking this hard. And once again, you know, Robert has to come in with that that classic Robert advice. He's like, heroes are not perfect. Whatever's going on with John, we don't know. But Robert still believes that, you know, people can be fallible. And I think that's a good good quick lesson from Robert uh, in this episode. Yeah. And as Virgil is once again, just upset, not this time, not it being about the fact that Green Lantern turned rather that he took his own L uh, while fighting against Green Lantern. He decides to go back out on patrol where gear has caught up to him and they're immediately attacked by Sinestro again, pretending to be Jon Stewart, Green Lantern. This leads into an all out, kind of battle now because this time around static and gear are just like no not again we're not going to get caught off guard anymore and they're just hitting him with the left right one two combo like it was on sale that day because i really like the teamwork that happened here i don't think we ever got a chance to really to see at least not recently just how well static and gear work off of each other when they're working alongside each other and not just handling separate fires yeah they they could clearly have been working on their their team moves, their their one two combo hyper finish, but again, <laughs> it is Green Lantern and he is pretty powerful. So uh, they are in the middle middle of the fight when Sinestro decides to do a great, very smart billboard diversion, where he's knocking over a billboard. He's going to cut and run because John Stewart is nearby. So Static and Gear immediately res- mistake the John Stewart, the real John Stewart for the Sinestro. And John tries to put up a fight, but he is weakening. He does not have his old strength. And he ends up taking a hard fall that I don't know how he even survived <laughs> because mm-hmm. that fall was that fall was tough. And Static was not holding back while he shocked Green Lantern into submission. And Sinestro... Shows us how much he loved that by smiling directly at the camera. <laughs> so now Static and Gear are watching over the fallen real John Stewart as they're waiting for the cops to come by and pick him up. Uh, Green Lantern is currently being transferred in a van, a police van. He has like all the chains on him. And at that moment, Sinestro just rolls up, opens the door. And the two of them have a conversation. And that conversation basically goes, I finally defeated you. So now you need to give me your ring. And John is just like, I don't understand why you want my ring, mainly because you already took my battery. So it doesn't make any, the lantern, um, doesn't make any sense that you're trying to take the ring as well. Well, Sinestro doesn't want to hear it, so he's immediately going through, checking pockets, checking his hands, and he's noticing that the ring is completely gone. And this is when he reveals that, um, you know, he's basically pulling off his own zero hour here, and he's collecting all of the rings of the Green Lanterns that he's defeated. And he has basically like a janitor's keys set of Green Lantern rings that he has wrapped around his neck. And it is shocking to see because when you really think about how much work goes into actually taking down the Green Lantern from what we've seen in just history and the DC AMU in Green Lantern, First first Flight, Emerald Knights, uh, you know, the the one also the one with Ryan Reynolds that, um, you know, we don't really speak of, but <laughs> the greatest Green Lantern tragedy. <laughs> so, yeah, he we know this that he's 
really just going out and taking down all the Green Lanterns. So he decides to fly off. And this is when we cut back to Static and Gear. They're standing on top of the gargoyles, showing off that Static has learned his brooding skills from Batman over these last four years. And they are just talking it through. Um, Gear's trying to connect with Static, let him know that like he understands that he lost the hero. Because the thing that is not said, but you know, you just understand it, you can see it, is that Green Lantern, John Stewart is black. Static is black. So to see a hero that he looked up to, that he idolizes, not only because of this person's doing right, but also this person looks like him, and to see how this person falls like this, that's the most hurtful thing of all. Yeah, you know, it's it's a common thing, you know, in the Black community, because a lot of celebrities and a lot of high-breaking positions, it's less overall. It can be hard when one of them is, you know, fallible, one of them slips up, one of them makes a mistake, or their reputation is tarnished, whether that be at an award show or (laughs) for a much more serious crime that actually matters, um, it, it can be hard to accept and see that and that's and that we're seeing that struggle and the gleam of hope is that static suddenly realizes he has a ring and it it's john stewart's ring and he decides it's best he investigates himself because why would this person who went on the spree just give up his ring so easily so it john static goes to john who reveals that he slipped him the ring to keep it safe from sinestro and also explains that he got into this mess because Sinestro faked a distress call while the Justice League was out doing various missions in space, covering a plot hole. Cause I was like, why doesn't the Justice League just come in and see what's up with Green Lantern? And while he was doing this distress call, Sinestro stole the lantern and basically, you know, forced Green Lantern into desperation. The best part of this story, though, is the fact that it, this is all taking place over a few days. My man. What happened to your beard in three days, my man? <laughs> How? How? My man be using me popping biotin. That's probably what I, it I is. think so. Like maybe some space biotin or something. I was like, my dude, how did you grow that in three days? You look terrible. And while we're just sympathizing with Green Lantern here and the fact that my man hasn't seen a razor in so long. Uh, Static decides to head back over to the abandoned gas station of Solitude, all while thinking that, like, you know, maybe his dad was right, that, you know, there was more to it than meets the eye and all that. So as he heads on over to the abandoned gas station, he's calling out for gear, but then notices that gear, gear is locked up in green construct chains. And gear is freaking out, telling him that, like, no, this is a trap, get away. And at that moment, we see Sinestro pop out of the shadows and he's demanding the ring. So not wanting gear to get hurt, he does decide to throw over Green Lantern's ring. And as Sinestro picks it up, he realizes it that it's not the ring itself, but actually Captain Dwayne's Dakota ring. That's a collector's item. I love that. I love that reference to our man, mm-hmm. your departed Dwayne McDuffie. I love it. So now it's time for John Stewart to finally get back into the fight. And luckily, Static's powers can charge a Green Lantern ring. They work as a power source um, that he can just charge him up. So while 
static and gear, try to handle the civilians that are endangered by Sinestro. John Stu is like, bro, I got this one-on-one Sinestro <laughs> right now. Let's go. And I, yo, this was the ass whooping of the century because this had a soundtrack. First off, I'm going to put that out there. Green Lantern was just like, nah, I'm going to whoop your ass in stereo. Give me a minute. <laughs> and the two of them enter this like crazy Dragon Ball Z Tenkaichi blast battle. And they're both realizing, though, at that moment that both of their rays are losing power. And Sinestro, once again, pretending to be Jon Stewart, is just like, ha, I got you, though, because I have the real battery. You're weaker than me. And this is when our boy Jon Stewart is just like, nah, the difference is, though, I got an unlimited power source. And Static walks up, gives him off some more power. And this time we see that the green blast starts to turn purple and get more energized as basically... Green Lantern takes out Sinestro in this blinding light. And because he has more power to boot, he also takes all the cables in which I'm assuming will be today's episode of Shocking Destruction oh, yes. because it is an extension of static. Oh, yes. He pulls up all the underground cables to wrap up Sinestro. And because he's now unconscious, we see Sinestro's face finally form back away from Green Lantern, John Stewart's face. Yeah, I love the civilians. There were two, you know, <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I love that. And now that Sinestro is defeated, John is able to get the ring back, scan it, get, reclaim his lantern. And upon charging, he's shaved. So I guess mm-hmm. it's implied like maybe this is what John looks like all the time, but through willpower, he's shaved. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> This is this is a sign to everyone to uh to tip your barbers uh because they're doing Green Lantern work apparently with the clean fades and the beard shape. And I love this moment too because Green Lantern does say the oath, that really iconic oath that just resonates throughout time and space and just everything. And now Static tries to begin to apologize to Green Lantern, let him know that um, you know, he's sorry for basically whooping that ass earlier let's be honest static won the fight so oh yeah oh yeah so now um you know john is just like don't worry about it all's forgiven he takes sinestro flies off and at the end static comments to 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 gear that you know he's really happy to see that uh that green lantern is such a great hero and gear turns around and says you know i'm pretty sure he's thinking the same thing about you And that is just a wonderful way to end this episode as the screen fades to black to our next episode as we now deal with the Army of Darkness. Right at the start of this, we got some new, we got some new villains to deal with, some new matters we haven't seen before. We got Brick House and Catman Pride. Um, okay, first off, <laughs> yes, this, this whole team's a straight rip off of X Men Evolution. Yeah, <laughs> my god, I was like, come on, man, you can run through walls just like Kitty Pride. Yeah, you're Catman, <laughs> you're Catman Pride now. I don't care what your real name is. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so they're trying to pull off a robbery and. Virgil arrives to try to ecstatic to try to you know, put these guys down. And honestly, he's doing pretty well for, for himself at first against like 
the strong brick house and Catman Pride running through everything. But the third factor is a girl named Nightingale, who from the start, she didn't seem too enthusiastic about doing any of this. But when her friends need her, she creates this void of darkness that completely obscures everyone's vision. And after creating this, Virgil is almost hit by the fastest truck in the United States because <laughs> God damn, how fast was that truck going through the void? It couldn't see anything either. But yeah, he, he had a delivery, man. <laughs> so, so Static is left kind of confused at what happened while we find out more about these mysterious new metas. Yeah, the trio heads underground and uh, Nightingale gets stopped by Catman Pride as he's basically calling her out for not jumping in as soon as she, when they really truly needed her. Brickhouse jumps in to say like, you know, stop messing with her. But then as he leaves, this is when Brickhouse turns around. It's just like, you gotta, you gotta stop like holding back. Like it's different now. And then we see for a split second that the sun starts to rise. And as she sees it, she kind of, um, you know, gets agitated and runs off as they head further underground. And this is where we see that Ebon is a member of this team, or rather he's leading this team. And um, I guess the Metabreed got fired. Um, yeah, know. I guess he's like, you know what? I want to try something different. Right. <laughs> I respect him. He, he, you know, he hasn't succeeded with the other ones. So, you know, you got to give it a shot. Right. Yeah. So they did successfully actually do steal the diamonds that they were aiming to steal from when they fought Static. And they take these diamonds down to the, another one of their colleagues, Tech, who honestly looks like if Teen Titans Gizmo and Sticky from the Prowl family kind of were made into the same character. Yes. And if they both needed some Vicks, because this dude is congested. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so much. And they reveal that they have this new dark matter machine that they're trying to use to block out the sun. Nightingale's a little hurt by it because she's just like, yo, I could basically do the same thing. But they're saying that she, this machine could do it on such a larger scale. And, you know, the, the scene closes there as we go on to patrol and the next night static is falling asleep where our gear is trying to keep him awake as they're trying to wait for more alerts for any more metahuman attacks. And this is when we immediately hear the siren and it's revealed from backpack that the night breed, as they ended up calling themselves, are once again stealing from the Dakota nuclear plant, which... I have to also ask, this is my next question, why is that a thing in Dakota when you have a ton of bang babies already? Nah, yeah, they need to not, uh, they need to get these out of town. They need to decommission mm -hmm. this plant because no, <laughs> this is not the city. Um, I do like the the quick reference of when Static is sleeping on the job that they're like, how does Batman do it? And Gear's like, you know, he's probably a rich guy who gets to sleep all day. And they're like, wait a minute, do you know? And they immediately change the topic. I love that little exchange. <laughs> yeah, see, leave it. You had to be the smartest person ever to discover that Batman is actually a really rich billionaire. <laughs> Richie knows he's smart. Mm -hmm. uh, so they show up to the nuclear plant. And honestly, I got to say, Gear and Static, again, they've been working on their teamwork. At one point, I think Gear is about to kill one of them, in fact, because he's just doing it <laughs> so well. But the turns table 
and Ebon nearly throws them into that conveniently placed nuclear reactor core. Yeah, um, we really need to get a gauge on Ebon's full yeah. power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because back in season one or two, I think, season one, I think, with the uh with the reforming of rubber band man and Ebon pretending to be rubber band man, he straight up threw static towards the center of the earth. Uh we've seen him create basically dark whirlpools with his abilities and now he could just basically open up i know they were already at a nuclear plant but like it's wild to see that he could just open this portal up to anywhere and it almost seems like he could do it based off no matter if he's been to that place or not so i'm a little scared of ebon now because he's really willing to merc somebody on site (laughs) no matter where he is yeah and fortunately for static and gear Nightingale, who was already having a crisis of conscience, is like, I th- asking Ebon, I thought you said nobody would get hurt. And Ebon goes, they are nobody. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> I love it. Thanks to our intervention, Static is able to use Gear's backpack as a impromptu a disc, flying disc, to get out of the hole and save themselves. While they get away, unfortunately, Ebon is not so merciful. And she he's pretty much ready to kill Nightingale with the spotlight. So Ebon takes her and throws her into a construction site as the light turns on. And she's basically we see the effect of what light does to to people like her. Um, and this is when Static and Gear fly in. They move the lights away off of her. And this is where another fight breaks out with uh, Brickhouse running through. We have uh, Tech coming through also. And also... Uh, Catman Pride, he is a dangerous fellow, I realize, because he runs through the gate. He runs through a shed, and along with him, he's just carrying a hammer that he randomly picked up in the shed. You know, probably a quick shout out to Steel, because he's pretty sure he was a little jealous when he came through with that giant hammer. But the fight continues here and they do get the upper hand a bit because tech throws out some self-constricting cellophane almost. Uh, but static is able to fly up high enough and brick house as she throws a wrecking ball at him, she misses and the lights hit them. So they now have to flee in their own pain. And this is when static and gear would finally have a moment because of the fact that everybody has now run away. Ebon has teleported himself out. Nightingale reveals that light is poisonous to them as we jump to our next scene of grossly overusing your powers because uh, Static, basically, in an effort to bond with Nightingale, takes a coin from his pocket using his electrical powers, puts the coin inside the vending machine, then uses his powers then to press the button on the vending machine, pull the soda out with his powers, and then pass it to her. And part of me was just like, bro, you you were literally an arm's length away from doing all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I would do the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just I would no like, effort. got it. <laughs> lace, lace my dollar bills with like electricity and just get them back. <laughs> laundry could you imagine laundry would be so easy and so affordable but in any case now that they have this quiet moment nightingale can fully share their story and it goes back to the gang war um where 
There was just this one guy in the crowd with two bats. I just had to call him two Batman real quick. <laughs> I, um, I just wanted to point him out. I wanted to, the animator, whoever animated that, thank you. I ca- caught it and I love it. Uh, so we found out they, these kids got affected by the bang baby gas like everybody else. But unfortunately, their meta mutations made them extremely weak to light. So they had to flee into the darkness right away. And when they came out at night, their eyes, they all have these special eyes, they frighten people. And they were even pepper sprayed by cops on site, even though they tried to do the right thing over time. So much distress between them and the cops and the society that they decided it's better to just live underground, not go home at all. Uh, so and they call themselves a night breed and they steal to stay alive. and. I 100% love the story. It feels like it's been a while since we got a backstory for a villain or a villainous group that was this deep and involved. And I absolutely love how the Nightbreed came to be and that they're not just a Metabreed replacement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And we also find out uh, how they were connected because as they mentioned they were stealing be- to protect themselves, to save themselves so they could survive. And this is when Ebon, seeing their skill set, decided that, you know, maybe they should work together and, you know, ultimately say that he wants to take over control of other Nightbreed-like characters. So we find out that not only was it just them, but we see some other people that get run off and there's a ton of them. So they... Night, um, Ebon decides that he wants to lead the Nightbreed and he's going to do so by blocking out the sun so that it's forever dark in Dakota by using this blackout box, the same box that we saw Tech messing around with earlier. And this is when they, as they go in search of it, they head back down to the underground hideout that the Nightbreed was at, but everything has been cleared out and they're just distraught over the fact that, you know, they, they're, they feel like they're running out of time. But luckily and unluckily for them, Ebon happens to be there and has revealed that he has rigged the entire hideout to explode. And as he heads on up to the surface, he presses down the dynamite. And this leads to a shocking scene because at this moment, there is no escape for them. There's no way for them to really get out in time, it seems. And fortunately... Static has been eating his Wheaties because he's able to do an entire electric barrier to keep them all alive through this tunnel collapse. Um, yeah, he's becoming closer and closer to his future strength every day. And he is able to now recruit Nightingale and Brickhouse to help him take stop this plan to block out the sun, which is insane, Ebon. You just go zero to 60 every time. And while they are in, while they're trying to figure out, they eventually piece together that ironically, Ebon thought the gas station of solitude was the perfect point to launch their plan from. So now we get a, an extremely dope team up fight where you have gear, brick house, nightingale and static versus Ebon brain. Was it? Was it brain? Tech. Tech. Oh, all right. Um, (laughs) and and catman pride and it's a pretty fun fight it has everyone using their skills to the max really great animation 
Um, at one point when they're, when Nightingale creates a blackout, Tech accidentally shoots Ebon. It's fun all around. And unfortunately, though, they are unable to stop the machine from being set off as the dark matter starts to come outside of the blackout box. Ebon is celebrating his victory because there's no way for them to stop it. So once again, Static shocks Ebon to the point where he knocks out. And I love this scene because Tech... He starts freaking out because he's just like, if you make one wrong move, this whole thing could explode. And we don't know what that could look like. That could be all the dark matter gets gets um, sent out all at once, or this could be that it could take out like basically Dakota. And as Gear is messing around with the machine, he's able to shut it down quite quickly. And then this is where we get kind of a subtle genius nod as Gear walks away, as you say, and telling tech that like, you're not the only brains in this operation out here. So now Gail, we see her do an amazing thing as she takes on all the released dark matter, more than she's ever, it seems ever made herself and absorb it into her body, saving the day right before the sun's about to come out to possibly take away the lives of the night breed. Yeah. And luckily static is able to help them get to safety just in time, all of them. Um, Ebon can figure it out by himself. Um, but <laughs> uh, we have this nice, really nice scene where, you know, Virgil is saying, I can help you guys. Let's find a cure. Let's figure it out. And the Nightbreed decides they're best off going alone, even though they've had hard times. They've had each other's backs since the Big Bang started. So they want to see this through themselves and, fi- and you know, focus on curing their condition. And I love the quotes, like when Nightingale said, we would have traded one dark world for another if this mm-hmm. plan would have worked. Uh, that human nature is to be afraid of the dark. And we're the dark. Yeah, I love that line so much. Uh, it's a great cap. It's like these characters are so, they become so interesting in such a short time. And the, the episode definitely ends on a bittersweet note as they go their separate ways to find cures and go back to the surface world. Yeah. Love it. I love it. So as they've now decided to fly off and teleport themselves away, knowing now that there is a bridge between their islands, we jump to our next episode with No Man's an Island. As we get a quick recap here of the Edwin Alva Omni Ferry situation. What is great about this is that when we're flashing back to Alva um, and, you know, reviewing the fact that the little Alva Jr. was, he had all these power pellets that gave him different powers, but eventually he turned to stone and his father's been trying to find a cure. The animation compared from then and now is incredible. Seeing that contrast mm-hmm. is crazy. It's absolutely crazy to see the contrast between those two. So I, I really applaud um, the animation bump and boost and I really appreciate seeing that contrast but that sets us that sets up the stakes that Alva Jr. is still a stone statue and as a and on the opposite end Virgil is just chilling his phone is hovering above him with static electricity <laughs> again I do the same um <laughs> and since Richie is gone he's trying to hang out with Daisy and Frida um and they invite him to a sleepover which he declines Virgil Virgil (laughs) Virgil why so he does decline because of the fact that he hears an alarm go off in the distance 
And we cut to a scene where Francis has stolen the car. He's escaping right now. And Static is in pursuit of him. And I gotta admit, Francis did a pretty good job of his driving skills here. You know, definitely a a runner-up for a Fast and Furious movie in the future if we ever if we go past 10. Uh, so as he tries to escape, Static does a really cool thing and drains the car's battery. So this forces Francis to hop out and just ready go down with a fist fight as he throws some fireballs his way. But then at that moment, we see some random soldiers drop from their hover bikes and they shock Francis, which does impress Static at that moment. He's asking, who are you? And, you know, what are you doing? Because, you know, the fact that you took down Francis, like, you know, we must be on the same side. And no, 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 that is not the case because someone walks up behind him, electrocutes him and shocks him and knocks him out, which I got to ask, I did not know that was possible. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's like a Thor Ragnarok situation where he's somehow able to be susceptible to electricity because it's convenient to the plot. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So Static and Francis, they start to wake up and they see that they're on this helicopter, kind of. They're being teleported, transported to an island. And now they're, you know, they realize also that they're chained together. And they quickly learn that wherever they're in, it's something is dampening their powers. So they can't even break out of the cell that's holding them. So they notice, though, that the helicopter is lowering so they decide to formulate a plan and static is unsure he doesn't want to do this because it's just like he obviously was grabbed by mistake you know it they know francis they know how much of a hothead he is so they probably wanted to grab him and he just got caught up in the crossfire that was two fire puns that i didn't even realize there I you go. <laughs> it's infectious so as they see that the shield is lowered to their cell this is when the um the soldiers come up and static is just trying to tell them like yo uh obviously me being here was a mistake uh just trying to see what's going on and they once again attack him they shock him and this leads to francis kind of looking at him and just saying so are you sure you grab by mistake or do you want to just help me beat these guys up so that we can get the key and get out of here which they successfully do even though their teamwork is not on par with Static and Gear in our last two episodes. Yeah, they they definitely have opposing objectives, especially when Static sees that Rubberband Man, Bootleg Hot Girl, and Gear have all been captured by this unknown facility and force. And Static obviously wants to save his friends, but they have no choice and they are forced to flee into the forest on a, on a disc. And while they're being chased by all these drones, they end up falling and having to get on a hover scooter of sorts. Something mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi-esque. Yes, uh, yes. They're going through a forest. They're, um, they're doing all this crazy thing. And they even borrowed a little Star Wars music in the scene. <laughs> it almost was Star Wars, but just legally different enough. Uh, and yeah, we get to see them try to work together as they are trying to avoid these droids. These are the droids that we're looking. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> and uh, we have a quick shout out to the end of the Star Wars podcast. We will be playing this scene for them to see how they feel about this, and we hope that there are no 
uh, legal action that needs to be taking place because now as Francis is static, they head on over and Francis, they do bring up a really good point of why they can't just immediately escape outside of the fact that uh, Gear and Evil Hawkgirl and Rubber Band Man here are here is that they're both trapped on this island and with their fire and electrical powers, they wouldn't get far if this hover bike just crapped out. They decided to head on over to the one building that they do see this facility on the island and they break in and immediately realize that this is a hospital and Francis in a shocking scene just freaks the fuck out. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. You can't make me go anywhere. And this is where we get a little backstory on him as he reveals that when he was younger, he spent two years in a hospital. Uh, He doesn't say why, but it does seem like he does earn a little bit of sympathy from, from static in this scene. Yeah, and, and, you know, we only know that he likes sagging pants and burning things. So this is historic character development for Francis. Mm. And now that they are forced in this horrible situation together, they start getting some intel. And they realize that Alva Sr. wants to use the drain the metas, essentially, that he's captured in an effort to try and cure his son's stone condition. And he doesn't really know what's going to happen to the Meadows, nor does he really care. You know, he just wants to get his son back. So this moment drives, again, another wedge between Francis and Static because Francis is just not down to stay here any longer. So he decides to leave Static to his own devices. And Static tries to do what he can to stop this machine but he cannot do it alone and the nurses here are so evil that they kick their patients when they're down <laughs> this was wild because it was a strong enough kick that knocked out static once again and as he's like trying to recover we see that the machine is now turned on as rubber band man evil hawk girl and gear are just writhing in pain from we're assuming from having their powers drained from them and unfortunately the machine doesn't really seem to be doing anything to help um edwin alva jr's condition so Static once again decides that like, you know, he needs to stop this from happening because it's clear that they are willing to kill. So he starts draining the power from a nearby cable line. And this gives him enough juice to basically knock everyone away. He gets himself up. He runs over. He unlocks everybody from their their shackles and everything. So now Rubber Band Man, Evil Hawk Girl, and Gear are ready to join the fight as we see this amazing all-out brawl. I loved it because, except for one scene, and that is Rubber Band Man swinging through and just basically kicking people on the side as if he's Spider-Man. And it was just so weird given the fact that we see Rubber Band Man turn himself into a ball a water slide and a racket to just see him grab onto something and kick people in the face. <laughs> yeah, this fight scene is extremely fun because I just like that immediately after they wake up, they gotta throw some hands. Mm-hmm. Like I, <laughs> I, I just love that. And while they're 
all trying to fight. Alva has so many people. It doesn't seem like there's any end to it. But Francis reveals that he didn't just run away. He went after the boss man. And now he has Alva at Firepoint, essentially, and is ready to take out the boss. But before they can just escape clean and clear, Static realizes that, you know, Alva Jr. is in trouble and he has the ability to help. So he figures with his electricity powers, he can be enough to restore Alva. So he volunteers after everything that's gone down. He volunteers to help Alva Jr. And as he's being drained, it does look bad for a bit. It does look like he's going to he's too much of his self is being drained. But Francis steps in and offers himself as tribute as well. And even gear when asked, should you be near the computer? He's like, yo, I'm a genius. Relax. <laughs> and together, the three of them are able to restore Alva Jr. back to life. Yeah, it's a really wonderful scene. And I will give it to Francis at this point because he, since he did succeed, I'll call him Hot Streak this one time. All right. All right. Once. Once. At the end, they all fly home. Uh, the two, they see the car where everything started. And Static turns to Hot Streak and asks, are we going to continue where he left off? And he says no as we see now that Edwin Alva apparently has gifted, I'm going back to Francis now, you only get one. Yep. He has gifted Francis the hovercraft as he flies away, almost taken out the side of a building, but he does fly away into the sunset, ending our set of episodes here. So that is now time for us to figure out what was the best episode and what was the episode that we are still shocked made it into a series, a premiere episode. Yeah, I mean, this 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 is a good selection of episodes. Uh, you know, this is three real solid plots where you could really see the dedication, the care to each of the stories. Uh, so it is hard. And when I when I say the the least of these three, I don't want that to come off as a bad episode. Uh, it this this of course least of yeah the, yeah the least of the three uh, beats some entire weeks that we've done. <laughs> um, but I do have to say No Man's an Island fell short for me I think because the Alva Jr. plot has been going on for so long um, and that it was kind of weird to shove the conclusion of this very long storyline in the middle of a Francis and Static team up which is fun on itself but you could really do that with any episode mm-hmm. um, so I thought it was just a little weird to do something that you built up for for so long here. I wish they kind of had separated those two concepts because they're both great concepts on their own. And I think they would have worked on their own. Um, And together, they're just lesser than what they could have been. Uh, I think it is close for me. I do love Fallen Hero. I love Fallen Hero with Green Lantern. I think the plot was great. But uh, in the end, Army of Darkness... I mean, the the motivations of the villains, the characterizations of Nightingale, particularly uh, the the storyline, which is the great balance between ridiculous, but also very realistic, especially when you see the scene where they're encountering police and they can't trust police. 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. wonder if that could be a metaphor for anything. Uh, that <laughs> is, you know, striking social commentary, good plot, good characters. It's everything I love from a static episode. So Army of Darkness takes it for me this week. Uh, how about you? Yeah, so worst episode. Again, um, to reiterate, these are very, very, very strong entries into the static mythos as a whole. Um, I will also agree that I'm going to give worst episode to No Man's an Island. I also agree that it just felt a little weird to have two massive plot points shoved into one episode. Um, and I'm only really doing this based, really thinking about it through um, the way the payoff that came out of each episode. So with No Man's an Island, we dropped a really big scene in which we were able to find out a little bit more about Francis. Like he mentions that he was in the hospital for two years and this is used as a moment of sympathy for, for him. The only thing is, it's just like his fear of hospitals seems totally irrelevant in the next scene because he still moves on as if nothing happened. And I feel like in the other two episodes that we had, the payoffs that came out of them, they they made sense. They connected. So that's the only reason why I'm giving No Man's Island the, the worst episode. It was just like, it just needs to be a little bit of tweaking there. Um, but when it comes to the best episode, you know, I, uh, I'm going to have to not give it to army of darkness uh it was a strong number two entry for me uh only because besides nightingale none of the powers were darkness based like i'm not sure if that was intentional like i would assume that if you have characters who are affected by light like this in such a crazy way like you know like i understand that all um, transformations and changes that happen, they don't have to necessarily be this particular way. But I don't know, something about it just seemed a little off for me. And But other than that, I love this whole new setup that they had. Um, the not Their powers not being connected to darkness was a bit of something that pulled me out of the episode, but by the end, they grabbed me back because, again, that dialogue was just so amazing. Like, just the, the line of human nature to be afraid of the shadows and we are the dark. So that that was mass, like a masterclass of writing, in my opinion. And Fallen Hero, I have to give it to Fallen Hero because that is such stellar work i think the animation was just amazing there's one scene that you know that brought me back to the very first time when i watched this episode was when static got hit by all the microchips that green lantern sent his way and we saw there's like a split second where we see that static can't hold back the amount of energy that green lantern sending his way and his eyes light up from his own electrical power showing that static was going full on in that fight and the animation, the dual voice acting by Phil Lamar, um, the, 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 the dynamic that we see between Richie and Virgil in this episode, the, the questioning of when your heroes fall, who do you look to and seeing that story kind of bring itself back up as, you know, amends are being made. And we realize that certain, that heroes are making themselves bigger. 
now in this day and age. I just loved every part of it. I also think that the the inclusion of like what Sinestro's plan was and how he got away with taking out John Stewart, the the animation backstory cut back on that was just really amazing. Um, very much not in the same way as it reminded me of like Anansi storytelling from the Out of Africa episode, but it did give me that same kind of level of excitement to see Static once again bonding with a black hero. And especially because at that time there were so few of them. So Fallen Hero, best episode, uh, and No Man's an Island, worst episode. Again, that's not a reflection on the full episodes themselves. These are just two. It is really tough to make this decision, but I think I stand where I stand. <laughs> no, I think I think you made a fair point. I, I don't. Yeah, I really don't disagree with uh, where you're coming from. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think I, I liked. Yeah. Army of Darkness. I don't know something about the characters that could spin off into their own things, but they mm-hmm. don't. I love uh, <laughs> the the restraint. Um and I do, I would like to see some of them again, if if possible, but I do get what you mean, like Brickhouse, Raised in Darkness, but you're impervious? What, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the cool thing I will say about um, Nightbreed and the Army of Darkness here is a, it feels like a direct call out to another milestone creation. So jumping into our comic book facts a little bit. Um, you know, we have from Milestone, the Blood Syndicate. These are characters who are, um, as we talked about before, they were part of two different gangs, um, one of which being uh, the Paradise Island Bloods. They were caught in the battle as well during the big bang gang fight as they, and once they saw that so many of their, of their members were taken out, they decided to put aside their differences and, connect and really try to protect themselves so even though army of darkness is made for television it's basically the blood syndicate find kind of put on to the television screens and i'm happy that we got a chance to see these characters um to show that and then also make it seem like as if there was a possibility of a backdoor pilot for the nightbreed to get their own spinoff series even though unfortunately it does not happen nor i nor do i think it was ever planned to happen but we, from my personal experience, I think it really could have worked, especially because we've seen the Blood Syndicate be a, such a popular comic from the Milestone series. And the fact that it's also coming back in uh, 2022 it makes it even show that like people want characters like this. Like It is amazing to have them here. Yeah, get more of this. More of this, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so that was our episode. Now time for that comic book knowledge. As we are going to be talking about... The one hero that I realized we haven't got a chance to talk about quite yet, and that's Green Lantern. Let's go. And because of the fact that he has too many L, L counts to be added to our to our current episode here, we're not talking about Hal Jordan. I'm not talking about Guy Gardner. I'm not talking about Kyle Rayner. I'm here to talk about John Stewart, the Green Lantern, who is also the first black superhero from dc uh but yeah so john stewart green lantern he first appeared in green lantern uh back in the day green lantern and green arrow had like crossover comics though they never really actually crossed over at points during these comics 
But anyway, he first appeared in Green Lantern, Green Arrow comic issue number 87 in December of 1971. And he was created by two white men, ironically. We have Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams, who are credited for the creation of Jon Stewart, Green Lantern. And the best thing about comics is that most of these characters, their designs, their attitudes, their characteristics are usually based off of real people. So, Andrew, if you had to guess, who would you think that Jon Stewart was made from? Well, Sam Jackson wasn't around that time. <laughs> so I'm going to have to say uh, I would I would go on a, a rope and say Malcolm X. Mm, that would have been a good one. You are, however, incorrect. Ugh. His design, his look, his mannerisms were all based off of famous actor Sidney Portier. Oh, I like that even better, though. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. When you look at them side by side, you can see that they actually really were intentional with this, at least from this older comic from 1971. Um, because Dennis O'Neill, he, he was actually credited with the idea of wanting to make a new Green Lantern. But we have a DC comic editor, Julius Schwartz, who was just like, we can do that. But what if we made it better and made him black? <laughs> so yeah, it is amazing to know that we finally have a, we have finally got a black superhero in this early of the stage. And he was just so unapologetically black in his origin and throughout basically his entire time. So in the more modern comic origin, he was a Marine that, you know, because of his mother's activist influences on him, he decided to um, fight for what's right as a soldier. And then he decided to come back to become an architect so he could build up his own community. However, during his time serving in the Marines, he did disobey an order that led him to be possibly court-martialed, but they decided to let him um, slide a bit and he was just dishonorably discharged so he decided to move back home get his degree as an architect and what he didn't know was that the guardians who uh, the guardians of oa kind of been keeping an eye on him and there's some rumors that he might have actually been it might have been them who actually set him up for failure a little bit those sons of guns <laughs> Well, either way, they still liked him enough. They were thinking of having him meet the new Green Lantern. So they decided to uh, test him by sending a Manhunter, one of their first creations of space police, uh, to test to see if he was really worthy of a power ring. And obviously, Jon Stewart whooped that ass. And this is where he was able to get his power ring and become the Green Lantern that we know. Now, this is the more comic book origin, modern ones that we've been seeing, but the one that came out in 1971 in issue 87, he saw that this dude was, this man was black. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so in that comic, actually, it all started when Hal Jordan was preparing for himself to retire as a Green Lantern. He saw Guy Gardner as his best successor, until the day that Guy Gardner got hit by a bus. <laughs> mean girl style. <laughs> so how frantically he's like, I have no idea who's going to be the new guardian of Sector 2814, you know, when I go on leave, which is a typical story, I guess you will also hear in your offices as well. 
And this is when the guardians come up to him and tell him that like, we actually do have someone in mind. Uh, you should check out Jon Stewart. And they immediately flash on over to where Jon Stewart is actually in an argument with two police officers because they are harassing two black men who are playing, uh, I believe it was dominoes and they were blocking the street. So the cops walked over to them saying that, hey, you need to move your stuff. Also, you need a, need a permit in order to play dominoes on the street. Never heard of that before. <laughs> so John walks over and it's just like, nah, they are cool. You can just leave them be. And he almost gets into a fight with one cop, but uh, the one the other cop decides to side with John because he realizes it's getting too out of hand. And Hal is shocked at first to see the fact that John Stewart is basically disrespectful to authorities, to the cops here. And this is when I think the greatest moment in comic book history that I read is where the Guardians call Hal out and tell him that he needs to put aside his bigotries and accept the fact that John Stewart is going to be the new Green Lantern. Mm. I like that. Even they are like, yo, there's too much bs going on on earth like let, let's just let, cut him some slack <laughs> yep so you know despite having powers that connect to the color spectrum how responds saying that he's not a person that sees color uh so he does decide to chat with john stewart in a in a in like a soda shop and he offers him the job as green lantern John makes a joke that, like, you know, you might have to call me the Black Lantern. Um, but he does accept the role of Green Lantern because he tells him also that being a Black architect, there aren't many offerings to become a Black, an architect. So as he suits up, this is actually when we see that John kills it as a Green Lantern. He's amazing at what he does and does the most drastic thing of all, which is common for which was common for years for Hal Jordan, for Adam Scott, where they wore this mask. And John was just like, there's no point in me wearing this mask. He ditches it and says, I'm black, so I got to let it all hang out. That's what I like to see. So John Stewart it goes on to become one of the greatest Green Lanterns created. Um, he's always been a fan favorite of ours, especially because of the DC justice league animated series also in his in his scenes from the dcamu unfortunately though we don't get a chance to see him face off against although not one of his greatest foes he does become a foe of the green lanterns themselves sinestro and thal sinestro he premiered in green lantern number seven uh in august 1968 he was created by john broom and gil kane he has basically a very similar origin story to Hal, where an alien crash lands on his planet. Um, the alien is about to die, but this time around, there's something chasing after it. And in order to, uh, in order to protect the planet and stop the, the monster from attacking it even further, the alien decides to give Sinestro his power ring. Sinestro suits up for the first time as a Green Lantern, takes out the alien, that's the monster that's destroying his planet. And now the alien is telling him, okay, you can give me back the ring so I can go ahead and heal myself. Sinestro decides he's not going to do that. <laughs> Keeps the ring and watches as the alien dies slowly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
we know where your allegiances lie now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you know, if you're going to do villainy, go all the way. <laughs> so Sinestro goes back to Oa, becomes one of the greatest Green Lanterns of all time. But in secret, he's actually ruling his home world with an iron fist because of his new power as a Green Lantern. Eventually, Hal does join the Green Lanterns um, and does get trained by Sinestro, as we did see in the uh, Ryan Reynolds film, the greatest Green Lantern tragedy of all time. And later in a six-part series called Green Lantern Emerald Dawn from 1991, this is where we saw the fall of Sinestro. As Hal learns the truth, he organizes a rebellion against Sinestro and once the Guardians have enough evidence against Sinestro, they strip him of, of his power ring and banishes him to the antimatter universe. And while on that other side, he creates his own power ring, the yellow power ring that we normally see him wear. And this is to combat the green power ring of will. He creates a power ring of fear. And this is why at certain points, not only does Sinestro basically create a new Sinestro core, as they as he called it, but also why the Green Lanterns are actually were weak against the color yellow. So it was for an actual reason, not just for the dumb reason of yellow. <laughs> right, yeah, it wasn't based off the color wheel. <laughs> but yeah, those are the two big things that came out that I saw really wanted to share out because of the fact that we got a Green Lantern episode, we never really talked about them. We did talk about the Blood Syndicate some episodes ago and who they were. So definitely look back on that if you want to find out more and keep an eye out for the Blood Syndicate season one drop that's coming out um, in May of 2022 of the Milestone Returns universe. And unfortunately, we do not have a moment in which Static was trapped on an island where he was forced to heal Edwin Alva Jr., as we all know, because the real... Um, the real foe that Edwin Alvin Sr. had was hardware. And in a very similar story, um, Edwin Alva Sr. does lean more, does end up um, moving to the side of good once being more connected to his family. But in our series of static, this is the end of Edwin Alva as far as we know it. Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> Snow more voice of Goldar. And sorry, Power Rangers fan. <laughs> All right, that's the end of our episode. That's the end of our comic book knowledge. So until our next episode, take care of yourselves. And remember that if you're going to be outside at night trying to steal things, I'm looking at Nightingale as I say this. There's no need to be wearing sunglasses. Or if you do have to wear them, Static, now looking at you, please remember that sunglasses at night are a red flag. And if you are forced to live underground because of your meta powers keeping you from the darkness, pack some Vicks. Just see that all up, man. Like, it just, we all feel bad for you. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. First on our list is Green Lantern John Stewart, A Celebration of 50 Years. This collects some of the greatest moments of our favorite Green Lantern and one of the first black DC superheroes, John Stewart. Next we have Justice League and Blackest Night. This two-part episode is one of the best in Jon Stewart's history and honestly one of Phil Lamar's best performances as he recites the iconic oath 
that resounds throughout the halls of justice to this day. Finally, we have Blood Syndicate Season 1. Announced at DC Fandom, the return of Blood Syndicate is finally on its way. Although the Nightbreed was made for television, we actually have two characters, Fade and Brickhouse, who are members of the Blood Syndicate and part of this upcoming reunion. So if you like the Nightbreed, you should definitely check out this comic that's dropping on May 2022 and the original series that it comes from. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.